Well, 100 people agreed to share their deepest regrets on a video, um, and I wasn't sure what to expect when I started watching. Frankly, I expected people to give really safe answers, like, I wish I'd kept taking piano lessons, or um, I wish I'd studied harder in college. And there were some that fit in that category. There was one guy who said he wished he'd kept flossing. Um, another who regretted buying a 1984 Toyota Cressida, $5,000 down the drain, she said. One who said he regretted taking French instead of Spanish, and another who just said high school. A little ambiguous, but I think you can fill in the blanks. But many, much to my surprise, shared significant regrets. One said he regretted going to prison. Another, not getting mental health help sooner. One woman said her deepest regret was telling her mother, I hate you. Several regretted cheating on their spouses. One for a one-night stand. Several for hurting someone. One guy with tears in his eyes regretted a racial slur that he'd once used. A few mentioned bullying. There was one who said his regret was getting drunk in college. There are a couple for drinking and driving. One for taking up smoking. A couple for falling in with the wrong crowd. One for not finishing college. Another for not applying to medical school. One for getting married too early. And another for getting married too late. One for taking back an old boyfriend. And one for having sex too young. A guy who regretted not spending enough time in his, with his kids. He was in middle age. And a middle-aged woman who regretted not listening to her parents. And a 20-something who said she regretted the years she had lived so recklessly. Everyone has regrets. Regrets about mistakes. Regrets about deliberate bad decisions. And regrets about things that seemed right in the moment, maybe even done with the best of intentions, but then have gone horribly wrong. We've all said things we wish we wouldn't have, done things we wish we hadn't, like the time when perhaps we made a split-second decision that if we had just waited a minute, we might have thought better of, a foolish moment when we simply didn't think through the consequences. Once it's over, you can't get it back. None of us can change yesterday, not even God. You might try to undo what's been done, to apologize or make restitution, but you can never rewrite the past. What's done is done. What's said was said. What's happened has happened. You cannot go back. Now some say, just forget about the past. Don't cry over spilt milk. And they say, move on. But as many of you can attest, it's not always that simple. Because some regrets just never go away. For many, there's something from the past that may still be dragging them down. And the past, whether you like it or not, is affecting your present and maybe your future. Someone may say they forgive you, but try as you may, you can't forgive yourself. You know what you did was wrong. You hurt someone you cared about. You made an irreversible mistake. You wasted an opportunity you will never have back. And the feeling of regret can be immobilizing. If you're lucky, it teaches you something. But often it hurts in a way that does not stop hurting. And so you tell yourself, if only. Or you say, why didn't I? Or you wonder, what was I thinking? The English word regret partially comes from an old French word that means to weep. Regret is a deep sorrow that comes back to us over and over again. And it may be about something we've done or something we've left undone. Either way, it's a pain that never quite goes away. Sometimes the past permanently alters the future. There's no going back. And so regret is an emotion that casts a shadow over the present. It makes us brood over past failures and yesterday's choices. And so because of that, some argue that it's an unhelpful emotion. That's because the past is irreparable. 
You can do something about the present and the future, but you can't do anything about the past. It's gone. There's no power on earth or in heaven that can undo what has once been done. Or is there? Are we really doomed to live with the full impact of our past regrets? Or is there something else that we can do or something that someone else can do for us that might change the impact of regret in our lives? The Bible, like life, has plenty of examples of people who blew it, making decisions with staggering consequences, ways that they cannot see how they can ever get back to where they once were. And one of these stories is one of the last stories the Bible has about Jesus. It's not Jesus who has regrets, by the way, but it is a regret, a deeply held regret by someone who loved him dearly. But to tell the story, we need to go back a few weeks from the event that we're going to talk about just to give you some background. Some of you know that the last night that Jesus was alive, he shared a meal with his disciples. It's, uh, uh, that meal has become in, introduced into Christian tradition as what we call communion or the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper, something we'll do later in our service today. Jesus knew that the time had come for his arrest and his trial and his crucifixion. And during that meal, he made a prediction. He looked around the table at his disciples and he said to them, you will all fall away. And he was right. Upon his arrest, every one of them abandoned him. But to one of the disciples around that table, he made a second prediction. And that was to a man named Peter. He said to Peter, before the rooster crows, you will say three times that you do not even know me. Peter was so offended, he said to Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. And he meant it. Although, as we'll see in a moment, he couldn't keep that pledge. After dinner, the group went together to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus spent some time alone in prayer. And then a detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. And then, it says, everyone deserted him and fled exactly as Jesus predicted. Peter and John actually returned, but they were close, but at a distance, and they watched what happened as Jesus went through his trial. And that's when Peter's problem started. A servant girl recognized him and said to him, aren't you one of this man's disciples? Peter replied, no, I'm not. Not long after, someone else looked at him and said, aren't you one of his disciples? And again, he denied it, saying, I am not. And then later, a servant of the high priest confronted Peter. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? And again, Peter denied it. I want you to notice that this wasn't an, a once uh, just a momentary failure because time passed between each of these, maybe an hour or two between each of these accusations. Peter had time to think and ponder what he had done. Despite his best of intentions, Peter failed to be faithful. Three times he denied that he even knew Jesus. And then Luke tells us that after his third denial, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. The effect on Peter is shattering. Jesus didn't speak to him in anger. Instead, he looked on him in love mixed with disappointment. But it was just too much for Peter. And then he watched as Jesus, led by his captors, turned and went to the cross. You can't imagine a more complete failure than Peter early that Friday morning. It wasn't just a moral failure. It was a complete spiritual breakdown. 
He had gone public saying that if it came to it, he'd be the last man standing, even if it meant a fight to the death. And now he'd failed Jesus because of a few insignificant accusations that he knew Jesus. So it's not hard to imagine how Peter felt. Talk about regret. Peter was devastated. So the rest of Friday and into Saturday, things must have been awful for him. All the disciples deserted him, but Peter went one step further and denied him. And now Jesus was dead. Sunday morning, though, started differently. Some of the women went to the tomb. They were going to prepare Jesus' body for burial properly. And they found that when they arrived at the tomb where he'd been temporarily placed, that the stone had been rolled away and he was gone. And an angel told them that Jesus was no longer there, that he was alive. Not long after, Peter and John went racing to the tomb, having heard the news from the women, and they too found that he was gone. And then later that day, Peter saw Jesus. But still, where did that leave him in his relationship with Jesus? He'd failed him in his time of greatest need. He had denied that he even knew him. He must have wondered, am I finished? There's no way Jesus will want me back, not after what I've done. Which brings us to the story I want us to look at today. A few weeks later, Jesus appeared to his disciples alongside the Lake of Galilee. This is the place that Jesus had grown up, the disciples had grown up, the place where they had first met him. And Peter and the others were in a boat fishing, as they had done before they had spent time with Jesus. This had been their livelihood. And they'd been fishing all night, had not caught anything, and then they saw Jesus on the bank of the lake. And he told them to throw their nets off on the other side of the boat. And in an incident reminiscent of something that had been part of their coming to follow him in the first place, they caught so many fish, they were unable to haul in the nets. So when they landed, Jesus invited them to have breakfast with him. So they grilled some of their catch, and they ate. And that's when the story takes place. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. It's difficult to overestimate how important this conversation was for Peter. After his denials, he was a broken man. After all, he had denied Jesus. And yet, Jesus did not deny Peter. The good news is that he never let Peter go. Peter didn't know until Jesus took him on that walk what was happening. And you want to notice that Jesus took the initiative with Peter. Peter isn't the one that first reached out to Jesus. He was too timid to do that. Until now, he didn't know where he stood. And he must have wondered when Jesus called him over, what was going to happen? Would he get the pink slip or worse? But instead, Jesus asks Peter three questions. Actually, he asks the same question three times probably to mirror the three denials that Peter made of him. He says, do you love me? Notice what Jesus doesn't ask Peter. He doesn't say, what were you thinking? He doesn't say, can you promise me this will never happen again? No, he just says, do you love me? And by asking the question three times, the message starts to sink in. And Peter realizes that Jesus is giving him a second chance. What sealed the deal is what Jesus told Peter when he says, feed my lambs. 
take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. What's he doing? Well, first of all, he's telling Peter, Peter, I've forgiven you. That when he died on the cross, he paid the price for every sin, every failure, every mistake, every screw up of Peter's and of ours. And then he tells him, get busy, feed my sheep. He's telling Peter to get back into the game. Don't run from me. Don't run from the task I've given you to do. Instead, follow me. I've got more for you to do. And the message here is that sin doesn't have to have the last word. God is a God of forgiveness. The God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and 34th chances. Even though we can't change the past, God is the God of new beginnings, no matter how many times they are needed. And it's a great story. So what can we learn from Peter's life, Peter's story here? How can we learn to live this out? Well, the first thing we can do is to accept that we cannot change the past. At some level, it is really counterproductive to continue to rehash the past. There's no point in wondering how things would be different if you had done A, B, or C rather than X, Y, or Z. And then we need to tell God that we're sorry. And that won't be easy because it will mean owning up to some hard truths, to admit the ugly facts and to confess them to God, and if necessary, to the person that you've hurt. And we need to be specific. We don't sin in vague, undefined ways. We sin in concrete ways, and so we need to be specific when we confess our sins. But you can be honest with God. He knows the truth. He knows the regrets that you are experiencing. And without honesty, however, forgiveness is impossible. We really cannot find forgiveness until we call our failures failures and call them for what they are. This sort of honesty is what we call confession. And it's humbling. None of us like to think of ourselves as bad people. But the truth is, is that all of us do bad things. We hurt people, sometimes even intentionally. We mess things up, and when we do, we feel the pain of regret. But this may sound crazy, but there is, it is better to feel regret than not to feel regret. Sure, it's sometimes possible to beat yourself up unnecessarily, but more often what we tend to do is sweep things under the rug. We become complacent instead of true remorse. We even give ourselves a free pass saying, well, I'm not that bad, so-and-so is worse. But there is something even worse than complacency. And that is to find joy in hurting other people. And those folks we call sociopaths. The next step beyond forgiveness is to accept, or confession, is to accept the forgiveness that Christ offers us. Now this may sound crazy, but some people don't want to be forgiven. Or at least they have the mistaken idea that they are unforgivable. Still more, others can't see God's offer of forgiveness for what it is, a free gift. They think that they need to do something in order to earn God's forgiveness. But Jesus wants us to know that once we've said we're sorry and we mean it, it's enough. And sure, we need to make amends if possible. But then we need to leave things in God's hands, trusting him to put everything right. So put your full trust in the infinite mercy of God, the one who loves you and offers you a fresh start no matter what your past. Receive the love and forgiveness offered you in Jesus Christ. So what does it feel like when this happens in our lives? Well, it feels like being made whole all over again. So don't completely forget the past, because you won't. But you don't want to, to live in that past forever with what you've, what you've done. You can learn to let it go and receive the forgiveness offered us in Christ. That's why John, one of Jesus' disciples, one of those who was there um, on the day when Peter and John, Jesus had that conversation, who said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us or purify us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So the lesson here is forgive yourself and move on. The final step is just to get busy. There's nothing Satan would love more than to have your past disqualify you for the future. But Peter's past didn't determine his future and neither does yours. It's counterproductive to continue to dwell on the past, to go over, back, over and over again the events in your mind, to wonder how life would be different if only you had acted differently. So we do need to acknowledge the past and the past may always be with us in some way or another. But we can learn from our mistakes, do what we can to right the wrong, and understand that regret isn't useless if it motivates change. It can be helpful to help you make better decisions in the future, to correct mistakes, to gain wisdom. But it's destructive if it makes you feel stuck. So if you've done something you know was wrong, or something foolish, frivolous, or disgraceful, or maybe just frittered away some time or a lot of time, get busy and do something because there is something for you to do that God has for you to do. Stop wallowing in guilt. And make something out of your life from this moment on, regardless of what's taken place in the past. Don't let yesterday's regret control you. Allow God to lead you into a new future. Jesus' disciples made lots of mistakes. They failed him, especially when he needed them most. Peter most of all. But Jesus did not require that they live forever with the regrets of the past. Instead, he told them to get going, that they had a job to do to take the good news to the rest of the known world. He trusted them even after they failed him, and he does the same with us. Now, I'll be honest, regrets don't heal overnight. It can take a long time sometimes, and there are scars that may remain. But the only way to move forward is to give our regrets to Jesus, to receive the forgiveness he offers, and to trust him with the future. I want to be clear about my hopes for today. I do not want you to leave feeling hopeless. I'm not trying to dial up the shame. Sure, some people are hard-hearted and unrepentant, but most are not. And what you need to understand most of all is that God wants our obedience, but even more, he understands our struggles and graciously forgives. When we've sinned, one of the Satan's tactics is to try to keep us down. The devil would love for you to wallow in guilt, to think you're unworthy, stuck forever with plan B, powerless to be used by God. And yes, you need to own your sin, but even more, you need to understand that you cannot and should not believe Satan's lies. Some say Satan's primary objective is to eliminate guilt, but often his strategy is to use guilt to make us feel hopeless. The great tragedy of sin is not that it happens, but it's when Satan uses that guilt and regret to strip us of feeling that God loves us and can use us. So when we sin, we need to hear that every sin we've ever committed, past, present, and future, is covered by what Jesus did for us on the cross. When we confess, we need to know that we have a gracious God who, is, who cares enough to listen to our confession and to relieve us of the burden of our sins. And we need to understand that when we commit to live the life that we've been designed to live, God intends to use us from this moment forward. So when Satan accuses you, remember what Jesus says, I love you, I'll heal you, I'll use you, so confess what you've done. Commit with God's help not to do it again and move on and let God use you because he will. Some of you know that I was born in Japan. My father taught at a military school and both my sister and I were born on an army base. And during our time there, my parents acquired a number of beautiful Japanese art objects 
Um, and we moved back to the States when I was two, so I don't remember my time there. But many of those works were in our home when I was growing up, so it was always, I was always conscious of that part of my history. When I was quite young, my mother placed a vase on a small table near the entryway of our home. And she took a beautiful fabric table runner and put it through the center of that table. It hung down on either side, and the vase rested on top of that table runner. Well, I was a fairly typical little boy, and I was curious. And logical consequences were not something I completely understood. So one day, I took a hold of the edge of that fabric, and I wanted to see what would happen if I pulled it. And so I did. And that vase toppled over, it rolled off that table, and it went and slammed down on the hardwood floor and broke into five or six pieces. I was too young to remember what happened, but I've certainly been reminded about it over the years. (laughs) So why might you ask, do I have a picture of that vase on the screen? Well, because after it broke, my father took the the fragments of that vase and painstakingly glued that vase back together. And it's only when you look really closely, and I'm not even sure the image does justice to it, that you can see evidence that the vase was even broken at all. My dad glued this vase back together with super glue. But the Japanese have a centuries-old tradition of mending broken ceramics, and it's called kitsugi. The technique involves mixing a mixture of gold dust and resin to bring the pieces back together. It's done in such a way that gives beauty even to the imperfections of that object. So in one way or another, we are all broken people. We have regrets, and some of those regrets have left deep wounds. But what we need to understand is that through what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, God wants to heal us. I know that some of you struggle to forgive yourselves. You may, out of a sense of duty, be holding on to the pain of regret. But don't do it. Accept the grace that God offers. Not because you deserve it, because you don't. But because for all our regrets, past, present, and future, it is that Jesus died. And it is for our future that he rose again from the dead. And in this way, we know that God sees us, not for the struggles that we may have right now, but for the future that he has for us. Are we broken? Yes. But broken people healed by his forgiveness and love. People put back together in ways that turn our imperfections into a work of art. So, as those redeemed by his love. Find forgiveness where there was once regret and move on and let God use you because he will. Let's pray. Father, may we honestly open up to you and confess any way in which we have let you down, any way in which we too may have denied you in something we've done or thought of doing. May we not hesitate in coming back to you with humble hearts. May we confess our sins to you knowing that you have already reached out to us in love with words of forgiveness because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And heal us in ways that are honest about our imperfections and allow the goodness and glory of your healing power to shine through so all may see how good you are. 